Please stand for the reading of today's gospel, which is taken from Mark chapter 6, where we have been in the last few weeks and still have one more week to go from Mark chapter 6. This will be the basis for the sermon today. This is the account of the feeding of the 5,000. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if the big goal was a meal, the villages work just fine, don't they? If the ultimate big goal was to fill bellies, the villages work just fine. And the disciples, great common sense that says, hey Jesus, there's thousands of people out here in the wilderness send them to the nearby villages to buy some food. That's a really great idea. <laughs> that totally works if the goal is to fill bellies because you can do that in the villages. But that doesn't fill the heart. Villages never fill the heart. And in this series, we have this theme called trust fall. And it's not some sidebar for your life. It's not some marginalized thing. It's a theme. Because the big goal of Jesus isn't here. It's here. So you have this great moment. <laughs> it's epic in this story where Jesus looks at the same crowds the disciples are looking at, knowing the same villages are nearby that the disciples were aware of, and yet he says to them there, and then, not moving, and later, he says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. There's your trust fall. What? We're supposed to give them something? All the gears are like running around. John's gospel helps us understand a bigger context to all of this that the disciples had time because Jesus had done one of these to Philip and, uh, and said, why don't you go and, and buy food for all these people? He told Philip to go and buy it. And Philip's like, what? 
go and buy food. Like, how much am I supposed to, how much do we have? Like, I got to talk to the other, and so they had, they had time to think about this. And all the disciples together, and they still come back to Jesus with a better idea, which totally worked, common sense, send the people to the villages to buy food. And Jesus puts his foot down. He doubles down. And he says to them, without even buying him, the second time around, he puts his foot down. You do it. Now, what if I did that today? What if I picked one of you and I said, feed us for lunch? (laughs) You're like, ah, what? (laughs) We're not even a group of thousands. But still, you'd be like, I'm expected to do this. What do you want me to pull like money out of thin air and you know all this? And imagine the nature of it. Mind blowing. Where is it pushing the disciples? So now we get to something more important. That as we highlight what is in here, you recognize something about every mealtime that's not just that mealtime. That you would recognize something about every physical and earthly need under heaven that's not just that one feeding 5,000 a miracle for that day then and there. Because what's going around inside your heart is often not just that contented, thankful, go-to-God-with-everything mode, but instead it's a calculating how much do we have, and isn't this kind of a joke, that it's five loaves and two small fish? Like, that's as much as we got out of the pockets of these people in the desert. It really is a desert, Jesus. They did not pack lunches. We have nothing. Five loaves and two fish. <clears throat> it's one of those. This is where we live. And Jesus is saying to you and to me that every time There's food on the table. Is that a faith moment? What if there's more in the fridge? Is that a faith moment? When you need medicine and it's in the cabinet, is that a faith moment? When you're healthy, is that a faith moment? Jesus, on purpose, goes into the time where there's not that stuff and demonstrates that when it comes time to putting anything anywhere that supplies your needs, you start here and your trust is in the Lord. You give them something to eat. You see what Jesus is after? It's a beautiful trust fall. That is first and foremost in this account. So when you think about the nature of the circumstances, the thousands of people and the few disciples now being involved in their heart, their thinking, how do we operate? What is our go-to plan? What is our status quo as people? Now we're beginning to identify a problem inside the human heart. And it expands when you explore it just a little bit. The disciples struggle with you give them something to eat. When really, that should be our modus operandi. That should be our MO. That should be our normal, is to look to God and say, if you tell me to give them something to eat, we'll take our circumstance, we'll pray to God, 
and will do as you say because you said it because you said it because this is about you and it's not about how many loaves and how many fishes this is about you lord you're telling me to trust fall that i can do this and you'll be a net that's safe secure will catch me when i do it and you're teaching me that this is how my heart is to live this is my new mo Everything that's not there in the disciples' reaction, all the confusion and the scratching of their heads, how are we supposed to do this? And the, the total incredulity, right? I, I, not seeing this coming. It emphasizes how far away they were from trustfall. How far away their normal was from where Jesus wanted them to be. And that's not something cozy and comfortable that is a gap identified as sin. That's a disparity, a separation that highlights our unwillingness to trust God first and count the loaves second. It highlights the spiritual depravity inside of us that's foolish and like bent on fixed on other details that completely corrupts and sabotages faith in the heart. Do you see the gap? So the disciples' response to Jesus, you give them something to eat, that's so far away to highlight that difference. And then you begin to explore some of the things that work on our hearts. I was reminded by a, an author this week that it's not many things that can throw um, a believer off their believing horse, it can just be one thing. And all it takes is for you to be fixed on being in a have, have it world and sabotage your trust in God. It only takes one idol to make you an idolater. Not many idols, just one. And when we get fixed and focused on having things, the engine inside turns into greed or worry. Do you make, you see, you see that? You end up like, well, I need more because what I have is rarely enough for my heart. So when I make an idol, the idol is like an empty pit. You can put more in, you can put more in, you can put more in, but it never gets full. It's always empty, all the time. And that's how idols work. It's a, it's a worse kind of bait and switch in your life. As soon as you fix on anything else other than God, as soon as you settle your heart anywhere else, it's a complete empty hole. Just think is empty and worthless is the way to describe idolatry. And you're dumping things into something that will never accumulate to anything in your life. Never help, never satisfy, never fill up. That's what an idol is. So if we're fixed on like what we have, if disciples go out into the world in Jesus' name and they're thinking about, worried about, greedy for their next meal or the next paycheck, they're going to be corrupted in terms of their expressing dependence of God. They are to preach and to communicate the reliance and trust on God first and foremost. It would be weird if the preacher in the city suddenly was like sweating it over every next meal. And my God is the Lord? Who is he again? What has he done? And what does he do in deserts? That would be off. 
So when you scratch the surface and get a little deeper in this account, you recognize a toxic threat to the disciples' faith. And Jesus, who always cares about what's here, end goal, not what's here, is working on their faith, looking them in the eye with a solution that's not a solution. This is a trust fall moment. You give them something to eat. And so it is, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that every need of the body is related to a need of the soul. Because it is always about who God is. And so the theme for our Sundays has been fallen to God every single week with a different quality or character of God who provides. And I think for you and for me to look at the worries we have in life or to think about the greed that operates often inside our hearts, to think about the have heart we carry around. You recognize that God, God is a supplier. This is incompatible with the gospel. It's incompatible with what we call the good news. Imagine having an economy of the forgiveness of sins, for example. If you were to talk about God and who God is and what good news he's put in your lap, does Jesus say, I'll give to living Savior in Littleton 5% ration of the forgiveness of sins for this Sunday? Imagine an economy at work. I'm going to give you a five, I'll give you $500 worth of forgiveness as if there were an account for it, like a little dispensary. What if we had a 12-ounce gallon of forgiveness up here, some quantifiable economical thing? Wouldn't you love it? Then we would know. We could see with our eyes how much forgiveness is left. Do you need forgiveness? Good. We have a little bit more left in the jug. Here, I'll pour you some. And we could see it with our eyes, and it would be great to know. We could measure and quantify it, right? We know there's forgiveness left. And Oh, no, we're running out of forgiveness. God, don't you love us? I thought there was enough. Why won't you give us... End up messing up the whole thing. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be absolutely ridiculous? You would be the first one here at church on Sunday morning, I'll tell you that. In line for the forgiveness pump. Pour me a glass, please. Me first. It'd make greedy people out of us in a hurry. And all of the language about spiritual blessings is clearly communicated often in economical terms about an abundance and an overflowing of God's love. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Imagine that, that's language of a quantity. That's language of an amount. And wherever sin increases, however worse you got this last week, however messy it was in your heart and mind, your guilt before God, grace increases all the more, doesn't it? You come back here and the pastor still says, you're forgiven in the name of Jesus. And it's not qualified. It's not saying 99%. Sorry, that's all we got for today. It's not like that at all. It's overflowing, it's full, and it's freely given. And then you're going to go out during the week and you're going to worry about daily bread? 
then we're gonna go home and a God who has forgiven my sins and saved me from the fire and torment of hell, a God who has provided such a huge quantity to cover over a multitude of sins and proclaim it week after week in Jesus' name, day after day into each other's lives. Can you believe the amount of forgiveness we have communicated to you through your life? And now I'm going to worry about tomorrow. And I'm going to think about villages and not Jesus first. The gospel in this account is that Jesus who listened to every suggestion of his disciples, a Moses and a Lord who heard the grumbling of the people, and you know what he did next? without quantifying it, he gave. He put the food on your plate when you weren't even thankful for it. He put air in your lungs when you didn't even recognize the blessing. You want to know what the good news is today? You're here with your needs being met. Because of a God of grace, who cares about you through his son. Already there, inside the disciples' heart would be like, why? That really should have been the end for us and for the thousands of people here. Should have been the end of the nation of Israel in Exodus 16. Snap your fingers, Lord. We're unworthy and we're undeserving. No, God says, I have a better idea. I see need. And I'm a really gracious giver. And he took care of them. My hope and prayer for you today is you'd read an account like this, be challenged with the disciples to move out of villages, village trust, into a trust fall into your God. That every meal, not just when the fridge is more empty than it is full, but every meal you would begin giving thanks as Jesus demonstrated today. And that whether healthy or weak, rich or poor, strong or faltering, you would recognize that God is one who provides. It's just who he is. So are you worried? Are you afraid? Are you living life a little bit trembling about this or anxious about that? It's a good day to fall. It's always a good day to fall. A trust fall in the name of your God who knows how to give. Amen.